Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and it's that time of year again. Mother's Day is this weekend, and we have some fun and relatable content teed up for today. But before we jump in, reminders for ways to keep up with the show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. Subscribe to Believe in Softball on YouTube and actually watch the videos as well. All right, so let's go through today's order. First, we'll cover our bases as usual. I'll share some news and updates, some big ones today. And then we'll head into today's interview. One of my favorite interviews ever, just a little biased, just so happens to be my mom. And she's been there through every moment of my softball journey and has a really cool perspective. And I think softball moms are so special, so I'm excited to share it. And then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week, our new segment this season where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's get started. Covering our bases. So first, I got to remind you that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. I'm looking out for you. I got your back. And because bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So remember, BetOnline, they are your online sportsbook experts. In the big news, the NCAA announced potential hosting sites for postseason softball. And it's a little different this year, right? Like due to COVID, they had to do predetermined sites because there are too many protocols. They have to make sure they have the facilities that have the space and the resources to accommodate this level of competition and also the broadcasts that go with it. So there are 20 sites total. They will select 16 which will be announced during the selection show on May 16th. So that's going to be our first round of regionals. We'll find out soon. But not surprisingly, they're all in the Power Five. Makes sense because they have the stadiums and facilities to do it. Five are in the Pac-12. you got the Arizonas, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon, the top half of the Pac-12. Then you have eight from the SEC, eight. Arkansas, which, by the way, shout out to their first SEC championship ever, in school history. Love that. I love firsts, you know, because the goal to me is always like we knock off all these firsts so that we don't have firsts anymore. Like now everyone's breaking barriers. And anytime that happens, I love it. But anyway, there's also Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Missouri, who is back and eligible for postseason play after being suspended last year. Then there's three ACC teams. You got Clemson, who has just been phenomenal. Florida State, Virginia Tech, two Or three from the Big 12, actually. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. I mean, kind of the standard. And then you have Michigan representing the Big 10. So for me, I like to see the teams that host because they earned it and they know they did. You know, they have the seed and they find out in the moment during the selection show. You know, videos of those moments are always the best. But a lot of these teams probably would have hosted anyway, right? But it's just another thing that's a little bit different this year and may not be as surprising or quite as exciting come selection show. But frankly, at least we have postseason softball at all this year. I'm just happy about that. And all the games will be on the ESPN family of networks, which is huge. 
And they've been doing that more and more over these last years, but we just didn't have anything like that when I played. It was only Super Regionals and the World Series. So this kind of exposure still floors me sometimes, but it's great. So for pro softball, Athletes Unlimited also had some announcements. Lots of exciting stuff. They announced some of the returners, people that are coming back for season two by position, and there's a ton. So I'll just highlight some past guests on this show. For pitchers, you got the reigning champ. You got Kat Osterman, Danielle O'Toole. Catchers, there's Erica Piancastelli and Sachelle Palacios. Infield, you got Hannah Flippin, Tori Vidalis. Outfield, you got people like Victoria Hayward and Morgan Howe. I'm just, man, I'm just so proud of them. I mean, they made history last fall in such a weird time for the world in the inaugural season. And seven out of the eight people I just mentioned are all going to the Olympics this summer, too. So this will be after that. They'll be representing USA, Mexico, Canada, Italy, four of the six teams. And I can't wait to see what year two brings. It's going to run from August 29th to September 27th. Keep an eye out. I know I'm pumped. But there's also ways that they're adding new players to the league that they also announced. So it's going to be a little different. They're going to have their first ever collegiate draft. It's on May 10th, 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live. They're going to announce 12 eligible NCAA players invited to join the league. And it's going to be announced by either a player executive committee member, the champ, Kat Osterman, board member, Jessica Mendoza, Daniel Laurie, who did the broadcast last year, or some other guests like Warren Chamberlain, Amanda Scarborough, Natasha Wally, which are all amazing. And it's cool because this is the only league where players have full control of who gets to be a part of it, right? Like that's not a commonplace thing. So I love that we're already seeing growth from year one to year two on things that they're expanding on. And in addition to that, they're also having open tryouts, June 25th to 26th for elite players in Rosemont. You just have to be 18 years or older. And I've always liked the idea of open tryouts because there are so many diamonds in the rough out there. And AU is such an I can mentality and vibe about it. And I think this is aligned with that. Like anyone can do it. Like show up, show us what you got, right? So I love that. And someone who watched the entire Athletes Unlimited season with me last year and still watches all of my broadcasts and all the games now is today's guest. So let's head into the interview. She's my lifelong advocate and life coach. Been watching softball for over 25 years, but has been keeping me in check for 30. It's my mom, a softball mom, Marie Becerra. Hi, Mama. Hi. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Are you excited? You've been giving me a really hard time. You're finally being asked to be on the podcast. I'm way excited. I'm way excited. Well, and you're going to have video unlike dad when he was on the podcast in season one. So that's a win for you. That's right. That's right. Because we just keep advancing and advancing on with your, you doing your podcast. You're just adding more things to it. It's great. Well, are you saying it's also getting better because you're better than dad? No, that's not actually what I'm saying. It's it's getting better just because um, we've got, been able to add so much more, adding the video, adding music, um, all of that just makes it so much more entertaining. Um, not that you're not entertaining enough, you always are for me, but for you know for your other viewers and listeners. Okay, fine. Well, yeah, I think Dad would be happy that you brought up the music since he's the one who wrote it. So I don't know if the listeners even know that. But yes, my dad wrote the music for Believe in Softball. It's called Dirt in a Skirt. Fun fact. <laughs> yes, it's a very <laughs> fun fact. 
But Mother's Day is coming up, Mom. And I feel like a lot of Mother's Days over the years have been spent doing something softball related. And here we are again on the podcast doing it. So how do you feel about that? I think it's great. I grew accustomed to spending my Mother's Day doing softball with you. And it, it was great. Every moment of it was just great. Well, I remember in college too, like we would have Pac-12 series games on Mother's Day. And I actually remember one year in particular making you a card at the hotel in Oregon with just like computer paper and some of my highlighters and giving it to you because you and dad came to watch. Yep, we sure did. It was a little bit of flashback to grammar school. You you couldn't have any time to get away. And so you went ahead and just made me a card, which those are the best kind. All moms love homemade cards. But making cards runs in the family because grandpa used to make me just all kinds of cards with glitter, stickers, everything growing up. So I guess that's where I get it from. Yes, that's definitely where you get it from. That's where you get your emojis from too. You know, your grandfather uses stickers. And when I showed him what an emoji was, he's like, well, those are just like stickers. (laughs) So yes, you definitely get it from him. That's true. He did think that they were. And we were like, please don't put them on your new cell phone. (laughs) That's right. But as I was thinking about doing this episode with you, I I couldn't forget, Mom, your look at my games back in the day. You had that like wide, flimsy visor, the fanny pack, the Birkenstocks, like the Bluetooth earpiece. And I used to make fun of you for all of it. And now I wear three out of four of those things on a daily basis. <laughs> you sure do. You sure do. It makes it a lot more convenient at the field. Well... Did you ever tell me I told you so about that? I can't remember. I don't believe I did. I I think you were the one that told me that you were turning into me because look at all these things that you're doing now that you think are cool that you didn't think was cool when I was doing them. Yeah. And for everyone wondering, the three out of four things I do wear is fanny pack, Birkenstocks, and I have AirPods. So that's basically a Bluetooth earpiece if you think about it. So the only thing I didn't get was the flimsy visor thing that you used to wear. Yep. But you had that. Dad had a ponytail mullet. So you guys were quite the duo at the softball field. Yes, we were. Yes, we were. (laughs) And anyone who knew us back then or who listened to Dad's episodes last year knows about the mullet and that he was my coach. And he coached my teams in rec ball and a little bit in travel ball in the beginning but then he was really my personal coach in high school and college. So while dad was the coach in the equation, what do you feel like your role was while I was playing softball? Well, in, in your younger years, my, my role was um, kind of a dugout mom where the, you girls just loved the cheers, okay? And I did all the cheers with you, and I was just as silly as you guys were, and if anybody got a scratch or a boo-boo, we took care of it, you know. So that, that was the role in the in the younger years. Um, but then when you got up to where you were playing travel ball and um, even into college, uh, it was a lot of uh, managing your school stuff and your softball stuff. And when I say managing, in the terms of what a, a mom would do. Um, I think that it's very important, and you know this, but I'll share it with your viewers, 
that uh, you keep a balance. Um, I think the best softball players aren't the ones that are out there 24 seven practicing softball. They're the ones that have balance in their life. Um, the, when you're a kid, you still get to be a kid. You may not get to do everything you wanna do, but boy, it's really important to do all the important stuff, like in high school, going to prom and, and grad night and Disneyland and all that stuff. Those are once in a lifetime experiences and one day or, or one evening or whatever away from softball doesn't change all the hard work you do as long as you have been doing the hard work yeah that's true because I never missed anything big like sure I missed like plenty of you know hey my friends are hanging out and going to parties or whatever but I never missed anything like prom or graduation or grad night any of the things you just said, I remember getting on a plane straight from grad night, getting off the bus at like 6 a.m. and flying straight to Virginia for a qualifying tournament for travel ball. But I didn't miss it. I still did it. And you you were a big reason. Dad was aware of that stuff, but you were really the one who was pushing to make sure that those things happened. Yes. And what what was astonishing is here you were up all night, grad night at Disneyland and hopped on that plane and went to Virginia. And in that qualifier, you played some of the best ball you've ever played. So, you know, that, that in itself is a little bit of proof that if you allow the balance and even your travel ball coach at that time said, don't miss prom, don't miss grad night, you know, yeah, we have a qualifier. Yes, I want you there, you know, but go ahead and do those things. And that balance, I think, is is what contributes to the greatness. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, I think that's very true for me. And I actually got better at that over the years. And a lot of that was your help, too. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, every time I think back to what our general schedule was during that time, and I say our because you and dad were driving me to these travel ball tournaments. We were going all over the place every weekend to Orange County. Nationals were in Oklahoma City. It was usually my birthday I was spending out of state for nationals and tournaments. But then you finally, you got to go to Hawaii my sophomore year when we had our first preseason tournament there. Yay to me. Yep, yep. <laughs> I sure did. I sure but did. We, that, we that tried was, to go to everything, but it, it's difficult, you know. Um, I, I think we always had, you always had at least one parent there. And most of the time, uh, you were fortunate enough to have both of us there, you know, but, but Hawaii was one, uh, you know, it's whoever has the most vacation time is the one that gets to go, <laughs> you know, whether it was your dad or me, or, um, he did a lot of the qualifiers and stuff with you in Colorado and I had to stay behind and work, but, um, we always had somebody there. For you always one of us yeah and I didn't really realize that not everybody had that until like way later so I was really lucky for that reason but I do remember you and dad kind of like making a deal like he got to go to some some of the tournaments because he had the vacation time and maybe it was a recruiting tournament like the Colorado ones so you were the one who got to go to Hawaii and it was a big deal and we got to I hang out been. yeah I had never been to Hawaii and uh it felt like a mother-daughter weekend because of that. Um, the primary focus was softball, and it's kind of hard to um, be able to do other things. But we worked a few things in, and you know, made it as 
as fun as we could. And that's that's what we did on your when you were playing on your birthday. Um, we always worked in a birthday celebration for you. Um, there was always a cake and and you had an instant party because you had a whole team, you know. So um, you used to count the places that you've spent your birthday, which was was interesting. It's something that a lot of kids don't get, you know. Yeah, another thing to add to the list that I don't really think I knew was weird at the time because it's all I really, really knew. But I think the fact that I didn't know it was weird was also because of like you and dad and especially you making sure that those things happened. But now that I'm in the working world and and trying to balance a bunch of things myself, I really have no idea how you and dad were able to like work full time all week and do everything on all the weekends and take your time off. I mean, we didn't do vacations. Our vacations were the tournaments. Like That's right. We tried to work in, you know, when we got done with the tournament on the tail end, um, that's when we tried to work in some fun stuff to make it like a vacation. But, you know, you, when you got to the, the, to the travel ball part of it, um, it's every weekend and you're gone. You know, so and it is difficult, but it takes a team. It takes a team. You had to do your part. Your dad had, did his part in practicing with you and coaching you. And I did my part to to make sure everything went smoothly and and so that you could do the things that the other things that were also important. And the most important is the academics, the schoolwork. Um, you probably remember that. Uh, one of the things that we were able to avoid was ever having you do homework in the car. I yes. was not a fan of the homework in the car thing. I'd rather you take a nap on the way home and then feel a little more refreshed and then do your homework. Um, but you had teammates that played on SoCal travel teams that came from Northern California, and that simply was not an option for them. They had to do their homework in the car it is it's a, a long way to go for, for travel ball but you were lucky you didn't have to well good thing too because i'm i, I get car sick so <laughs> i don't know what i would have done like i remember even in college when we would like once in a while we'd drive down and do a road trip for a socal tournament coming from stanford and like i think for fullerton in particular and i Every, most of the rest of the team was doing homework and some of them had had classes together. So they were working together and studying and stuff, but I was always just napping because I was like, I, I can't do it. So that was my excuse anyway. Well, you probably get that from me. I can't read in the car. Some people can, I can't do it. It makes me car sick. And so you work around it, you know, it's, it's a trade-off. Uh, so you got a little nap in and you're going to be up a little later but it all comes out in the wash. So it's it's whatever works for your family. Now there, but for the families that have multiple children and they're all playing different sports, um, it's a lot more difficult, a lot more difficult. Um, but I, from what I saw, a lot of parents told me, we just try to make sure one parent's with this kid and one's with that one and they would switch off and, and that type of thing too to try to be there to see the games and, and give the support, you know? Yeah. And I think with all of these years, I always think of it sort of as like three different parts of softball that, that we did. It was sort of rec ball, travel ball, and then college. 
And then you could throw high school in there too, but that was a, a way different experience. That was also a lot more straightforward. Like it was a very short season in the spring, you know, it was, a, it was just different and you get recruited from travel ball. So there was a lot more time spent there, but I know I have a lot of memories from all of those times. Like you're reminding me of some with like travel ball already, but why don't, I guess we can go in order for rec ball. You mentioned that you were kind of like the team mom, the dugout mom, which is mm-hmm. true. I remember that. By the way, you did the cheers with us. I do remember that. What's your favorite cheer? Oh gosh, there were so many good ones. There, there were some that I what one that I remember the most is one that uh, they stopped letting you guys do, um, and I think you remember what one that is. But um, I don't think we should probably do it on your podcast. But there were so many cute ones. I can't. I don't know that I had a favorite. I think I liked all of them. Um, I, I always thought it was really cute because some of the girls had younger brothers and they would do the cheers and the dads would be kind of aghast that, oh my gosh, they're doing the girls' cheers, you know, but yeah. it's fun and it's supposed to be fun. And I think for girls that um, they have to like each other. They have to bond. Um more so than boys do in baseball. And that cheering is very much a part of it. It's very much a part of getting pumped up, of, of being a team. And it's, it's one of the really wonderful things about softball. I think it's one of the things too, like in recent years, just as softball has picked up more and more steam, like on TV, so many people for some people who maybe don't know the game as well, they might find baseball a little bit boring because it moves slower. It doesn't have stuff like that in it. But then they turn on softball and they're like, what are these cheers? These like dugout (laughs) rally cap props with like the banana phones and like all kinds of stuff. So it is definitely something that's pretty unique to softball that I really enjoyed growing up. Uh, And I think I heard one of the ones I heard recently, I heard a college team do it. I can't remember who, but they did the, I said a boom, chicka boom. Yes, hit that, that softball was- to the moon that was one of them and I hadn't heard that since way back then yeah yeah and I you know the cheers too I think um for for the girls anyway for the female players um it it helps keep them loose you know it helps it helps them not take themselves so seriously um softball is a sport where you can really overthink it and um, I, I think things like that uh, just take a little bit of that tension off and, and so that you can relax. And when players are a little more relaxed, that's when their play really rises to another level. Yeah. I mean, when we were seven, I don't know if we were thinking about that necessarily, but it is something that as you grow up, I remember we used to talk about it sometimes, my college teammates like, to remember the little girl who loved the game, you know? So you do think back to stuff like that when, when you try to just kind of simplify everything. Right. But there were also times when I was a little bit younger, not seven, definitely not that young (laughs) where you did have to like mediate between me and dad. Oh gosh. Yeah. You'd pick me up from practice. I'd be like crying. Usually it was pitching practice. It was kind of rare if it was like fielding or hitting but it's usually that. I don't ever recall it being fielding or hitting. It was always pitching practice. And um, you're like 
quite a few other uh, young ladies who had a coach for a dad, um, a real coach for a dad. And um, it's just an element that goes with the territory. And I think for, for the mom, it, it's best to just remember that, that that's kind of a, a common thing. You'll hear a lot of daughters of coaches and coaches who have daughters talk about um, it, it can get uh, strained a little bit during, during practice. But yes, there were plenty of times that uh, I went up to the field, you'd be up there practicing with your dad, and I'd go get my little girl from, from the circle, take her hand, and we'd go home. Because, yeah. you know, uh, we're all human beings, and sometimes you have a bad day. Sometimes you would have a bad day. No, not sick, not anything like that. It's just some days you're just not 100%. And the best thing is to just bag it for that day and come back the next day feeling a lot better, a lot more refreshed. And uh, moms can look out for that kind of thing and tell um, when their kid is kind of, tired or kind of uh, uh, burned out or stressed because they have a whole bunch of homework and and but yet they're out there practicing there's all kinds of factors that can come into it and balancing it um, really it, it helped you a lot for us to do that yeah it did because I also realized later in life you know when you're a kid you also think your parents are perfect but like sometimes dad could have a bad day too, you know, it like he's also human. <laughs> so, and maybe we both have a bad day on the same day sometimes. And then that, that would happen. Or maybe all three of us had a bad day and then it was just a mess. But you know, like the, the important thing though, was that after that would happen, we there would always be some sort of resolution though. And you yeah. would often be like the facilitator of that. But like dad and I would, we'd be okay later. You know, yes, like yes. it doesn't have to be like this huge permanent blowout <laughs> either. Yeah. And I would say that uh, oftentimes um, it wouldn't take but a few minutes afterwards for your dad to realize himself that, okay, maybe I'm having a bad day. Maybe she's having a bad day. And he always would make sure to give you a hug and let you know that, that's just practice. It's not, it's not everything about your relationship with him. He was pretty good about that. Even, even at times when you two butted heads. Yeah. But the other thing of speaking of butting heads that I always remember too, this is a big one. And this is actually involves more you than me, which was like the driving directions to get oh to all the tournaments. <laughs> Because this was before like Google Maps and like GPS and all this stuff. This was like MapQuest. So you printed out the directions. You'd be, you know, get, telling dad where to go. And uh, I think anyone can relate. Like any family can relate to the arguments that come from directions. I would say most of our arguments came from directions, you know, because uh, oftentimes the directions would be wrong. And I'm just reading what's there and telling your dad. And he knows that it's wrong. But, and so, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth about directions. Yep. No doubt about it. I think it, I think it's probably a little better now because, you know, you can map things on your phone. And I think it's a lot 
more accurate than it was back in the day. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a big one because you you know you're trying to get down there. You want to make sure you're early. You, you know, don't we never wanted you to feel rushed that kind of thing. So instead, we'd argue about the directions and stress you out that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you're going to get mad at me for bringing this up on this, but I, just the one time where you actually did get out of the car and walk back to the field <laughs> because we were driving between one field to another field for our games in a tournament, like it happened to get moved. And then we went back to the other field after that. And you knew that was going to happen. You knew we were coming back. So you got out of the car, threw the directions at dad and walked back to the other field. <laughs> yes, I did. Not, not a smart thing, not my greatest moment. You know, we're in, we're in a town that we don't really know our way around. Not too smart to get out of the car. But in all fairness, we could see the field that I walked back yeah. to. We weren't even very far away. Right. And yeah. I knew that if you won your game at the other field, that you would be coming back. And, you know, in all honesty, dad and I probably just needed a little break, you know. Yeah, and it happens. And you went, you pitched that game, you did great, you guys won, and you came back to that field that I was at. So it all worked out. That's probably one of the very few games that you ever actually didn't see me play in some way. <laughs> Really, because yeah. you were pretty much at like all the other ones. Or if in college we didn't, it was before we had the live streams and all this TV coverage. You'd watch like Game Tracker or something, but you would always be like watching. That's like one of the very few times <laughs> that you did it. Yeah, not my finest moment. It re it really wasn't. But you, I knew you were okay. You were with your dad. We didn't have much time to get you to the next field. The games were like back to back. Yeah. So. It was actually better, probably, not a good idea to get out of the car, but better for dad to just go on and take you at that yeah. moment, you know? Well, there was other times when that wasn't a problem, like later on. Like, remember with the Raiders and Phil Bruder, when I played on that team, he was the most superstitious person I've probably ever met in my life. So he would have all the parents drive in the exact same order from the hotel to the field. So that made life a little bit easier because if someone made a wrong turn, then everybody made a wrong turn. Yeah. That's once you're down there and you're going to the field. Yeah. Um, yeah. He did do that, but it was only if you guys were winning, if you yeah. were winning was right. when he got really superstitious and if you guys went out and you had a really good game and you, you won like the first game out then whatever order we were in leaving the hotel, he's like, you have to be in the same order. You know, we have to, each car has got to be in the same <laughs> order. I don't know. I like superstition. So I didn't think it was all that crazy. But Well, that works out because your daughter chose a sport that's very superstitious. So <laughs> at least you were on board because some parents would probably be like, really? You know, and they <laughs> just not do it. So... <laughs> Oh, man. But I also remember you washing uniforms like we'd play, you know, four, maybe five games in a day in, in travel ball days and then have to wear that uniform the next day. So you'd have to, like, wash it and you'd do it for me, which like that was also a balance is, you know, making me do most things on my own. So I'd be independent, but I also couldn't do it all. Right. So you would you would help yeah. out with things like that. But I, I remember that always being an adventure, like trying to figure out how to help the uniform dry in time to wear it for the next day. 
Yeah, I was either hanging it over the heater in the winter or hanging it over the air conditioner. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of hotels didn't have a washer and dryer. And, you know, after four or five games, your uniform was filthy. And if I didn't, ha if I didn't have laundry soap, which oftentimes I brought some, um, I would use the shampoo and the cream rinse that the hotel provided and literally wash your uniform in the sink and hang it up the yeah. kind of material that the uniforms are they tend to dry pretty well but yeah that was definitely a thing um i remember uh on one of your visits for college you were so excited because they washed the uniforms for you guys you didn't realize that in college you know you're not gonna have to do it yourself they do it for you you know yeah. that was just the greatest thing well, yeah, that was like my first college visit. Yes. So, and then they were like, this is where you deposit your laundry. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That's that's true, too. But laundry became a, a little bit of a thing in college, too, because I just struggled with laundry, I guess. It just wasn't my thing. So you would help, like, when I'd be overwhelmed, like, trying to do homework and, like, before games as well, like, trying to get ready for those, trying to do all this stuff at the same time. If you were in town, you'd help and do some of my laundry. But the biggest memory of that was when I was very, very first <laughs> on my own, my freshman year in college, my roommate was super nice and didn't care, but I had, like, a huge pile of dirty clothes <laughs> because we had gotten all these Nike uh, like what we called Nike Christmas, gotten all of that stuff. And I hadn't gone through all of them yet. So I just kept going before washing it. And then you ended up helping me. Yeah, I remember that very distinctly. Ending up helping you was about eight loads of laundry <laughs> because we didn't come up, I don't think, for the first couple of months um, before we came up and saw you your freshman year. And it was like, oh, no, you know. But you're right, that's, that's even another part of the, the balancing that happens even in the college years, okay? Being a student athlete, I think, um, from watching you go through it and talking to other parents is one of the hardest ways to go to college. It is not easy uh, because, because you're either playing or you're in class or you're doing homework and there's so little time for much else than that. And so I did, if you were, if you were really bogged down with homework or, and sometimes it wouldn't even be that it would be, you were up really late the night before cramming, you know, for a midterm or, you know, whatever. Um, and so you didn't get much sleep. Um, oftentimes I tell you, come to the hotel with me and dad, bring your laundry and either catch up on your sleep or catch up on your homework and we'll just throw it in at the hotel. Because by then, a lot of the hotels had washing, washing yeah. drivers, you know, four, five, six. Yeah. Um, and you didn't have near the laundry that you had your freshman year. But it's, it's little ways that um, moms can help that I think make, make a really big difference. You know, um, I would bring you care packages, like stuff that had shampoo and and deodorant and toiletry stuff and I say you out of any of this and you would look through the box you go no I'm good or oh yeah I need that and 
And so I always kept a box of just toiletries type stuff because yeah. just for me to get to the store to get something what would be a monumental thing when you're trying to be a student athlete, when you're, when you're playing a sport and you're trying to go to school, it's like every minute, every little piece that can be saved is really precious, you know? So, yeah. Um, but it was fun. I enjoyed doing it. I, it was, it was my way of helping and it, it does, it takes a team. It really does. It's the family support is a big part of it as well, but all the achievements and all the success belongs to the student athlete. It does. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to imagine that it would have been to the same level without the support. It's like, maybe I could have done some of it on my own, you know, but it wouldn't have been the same without you and without dad. Right. Yeah. And I think that's true for any student athlete. I mean, whether it's their parents or someone else important in their life, could be grandparents, could be, you know, godparents, could be aunts and uncles, whatever, just whoever those people are, you know? Right. Whoever your support system is. Yeah. It, yeah. It plays a big role. Yeah. Because the other big thing speaking of like studying and all that stuff, I think every single finals week and Stanford was on the quarter system. So that meant three finals weeks a year, not just two for you. They had to deal with me. <laughs> I probably call with like some sort of freak out phone call, like later at night that you had to deal with. Yes. Um, Stanford and, and probably a lot of other universities as well had a, a really nice way of kind of giving parents a heads up that that's going to happen that it's almost a guarantee. And every athlete's parent that I talked to um, said that their their daughter did the same thing, okay? Um, yeah, they said they're gonna call you and they're, they're gonna be all freaked out and they're gonna want, you're gonna wanna jump in and fix it. You're gonna wanna jump in right away and fix it. And then two days later, you know, you're gonna tell them, okay, you know, I, I helped you, I fixed it and fixed what? wasn't even that big a deal, you know? So you get accustomed to it after the first year, getting that call at like 2 a.m., that, that meltdown, I can't think straight anymore, I've been trying to figure this out for four hours and, you know. Um, but I think uh, for you anyway, what worked was just talking you down, you know, they need to relax and, you know, let's think it through. Let's bounce it off each other. Um, the very first one, your dad struggled very hard with. It was like, oh, my gosh, we have to do something, you know. And I said, ah, let's just wait and see how this plays out, you know. But we took we took those calls. That's the only time you did it was during yeah. you know, midterms. Um, we didn't get 2 a.m. calls other than that. Unless yeah, right. Unless it was an accident because the phone was in your pocket. That happened too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because Stanford had late night on campus where they had like food at the dining halls open till 2 a.m. So sometimes my friends and I or my teammates and I would go do that. We'd be up late studying. So we'd go and I'd probably accidentally butt dial you <laughs> on the yeah. way. What about taking finals on the on the road? Yeah. We had to do that a few times, not always, like, you know, but there were a couple times, like, I think I did a midterm on the road, maybe a final on the road too. Sometimes you have to work with your professors to, if it's not possible schedule wise, to make something up. 
somehow, um, you know, and figure it out. But they also didn't let you just use your tough uh, student athlete schedule as an excuse either. They were like, like, I remember one time I asked for an extension on a paper and he was like, sorry, but your softball schedule isn't enough for me to give you an extension. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, it feels like enough, but <laughs> all right. But you were able to get um, um, tutoring or help when you needed it um, because they do respect the fact that I think a student athlete is like going to college and working. It, yeah. it really is. Um, even though it's a sport, um, you know, it's tied to your scholarship, all that. It's like a job, you know, yeah. it, it really is. And so because these institutions understand that you're doing double duty, that's what yeah. your dad likes to call it, double duty, um, you need um, not preferential treatment. No. And I don't see it that way, but you need to be able to get the resources um, because you don't have as much time. Remember you told me once, you said, I could get straight A's in college if I had enough time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. I still got A's and B's for the record. Yes, you did. Yeah. I actually thought I handled that pretty well because that was a thing at Stanford too, where they were like, most people aren't used to getting B's if you got into Stanford, like be prepared that you may get a B, you know, <laughs> like Stanford's really hard. And I actually think I like set my expectations pretty well for that, which probably well, sounds it, obnoxious to some people, but whatever. It actually is a thing at Stanford because a lot of the people that come in, um, they've never gotten a B in their entire life. Yeah. And even your coaches tried to prepare us yeah. for it's going to happen. And I don't know if you remember, but I told you, okay, this is what we're going to do. Your first B, we're going to celebrate. We're yeah. going to celebrate. Yay, you got a B because it, it's something to get a B at Stanford. Okay? Yeah. It really is. Um, rather than make it this this big thing that we're dreading and you know it's going to happen anyway, you know. And yeah. so I think that kind of just took a lot of the stigma away from it for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it did. It definitely helped. It definitely helped. I think you, your sanity checks, the phone calls and like stuff like that. And then also it would help during dead week, which is the week before finals week. There was a tradition at Stanford where everyone would just, you just yell at midnight. <laughs> That's just a thing. I don't know, you know, when that started or whatever, but it was a thing. So you'd just hear everyone like in all the dorms or wherever you were at, just yell uh, to get through your frustration out. So between that and between your help, I think... It got me through. And a few uh, jumping in the ponds on campus, right? There. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. The fountain hopping. Yeah. The fountain is, hopping, there you go. Yeah, because that's that was usually after you were done with finals, especially right. in like the spring. Then you could go hop between the fountains. That was also a Stanford thing. That's very true. But what I want to know is how you got so good at talking people off the ledge because that's how that's what you did with me i i don't know if it's a necessarily i got so good at it it's parenting in general is trial and error you know you try this oh if that doesn't work well we're going to try something else until you find what works and of course when you have your own kids uh you start to know how your kid is and um, for you, and there are others out there like you, probably especially at a, at a school like Stanford, where um, 
I never had to push you. You were always pushing hard enough for everybody. Nobody had to push you. Uh, what we learned about you at a very early age was you needed to be pulled back. Pulled back. I mean, any kid who comes home and wants to do extra credit after they got an A plus on a in elementary school, you know, I said, but but I want extra credit. It's like there's nothing higher than an A plus. Okay, <laughs> no, you don't need to do this. Um, and that's part of the balancing too, um, because. While the sport is at a high level, the academics can be at a high level, and um, you got to know when you're doing too much and you go, mm, this isn't really necessary. Um, it reminds me of when you were in high school and you were taking an AP history class, and you already had a few other AP classes, but it was a lot. You know, it was like, okay, you could do it but you'd never see your friends. You would never have any downtime. You would never have any time to watch a movie ever or, you know, and I'm thinking, I asked you, I said, do you want to be a history teacher, you know, at some point? You said, no, I don't think so. I said, okay, I think you're going to drop this AP class. And yeah. you were doing extremely well in it. You were, I think you had an A in the class, but it it wasn't going to have the value that we yeah. needed for what it was going to take and what you were going to have to continue to put into it and taking just that little bit off and going you know what you don't have to take all ap classes yeah and, and um a lot of parents don't realize that they think oh i gotta put my kid in every ap class so they can get into college not necessarily not necessarily yeah because that's one of the biggest things that I think I learned. Now I recognize that that actually has to do with my own like mental health and wellness that yes. you were looking out for. I think at the time it wasn't something that was talked about nearly as much and as extensively and as deeply as it is now. So I don't that's know if I at the time really knew that that was it. I knew it was like what would be better for me. But now looking back, it's like that was sort of for my like mental health and well-being so that I yes. could stay sane. And yeah. it's like, cause you still want to push yourself, which I did on my own a lot. Like you said, I would need it to be real, reeled in if anything, but like you have to know when to give yourself a break. So that's one of the biggest things I learned from you is like to find the balance between those things, to have compassion for myself too, yes. to be able to tell the difference. Cause dad is like very disciplined all about hard work. And he really instilled that in me. And I'm super grateful for it. And, but I think you brought the, the part where it's like, okay, but like, let's also balance this out so that you're the best whole person that you can be. Yes. Yes. And, and I believe it's really important. Um, I, and I do think it contributed to the success that you had. Um, but it takes work, you know, and you got to be willing to, to work at it and, but it, it does pay off, I think, in the long run. Uh, it's kind of funny. I remember when you were younger, some of the best softball you ever played, you were sick. And I've teased you about it over the years. I mean, either you were coming down with the, the flu and had a fever. And not that I made you play with the fever. You were fine when we got to the game, but you started not feeling good. But yeah. what's funny is when 
what I've learned over the years is when you overthink softball, um, you can really mess yourself up. Yeah. And I think for for you or for anybody, when you're sick, you're thinking, I just got to get through this. You're not overthinking it. I mean, I've seen you hit home runs when I knew <laughs> you were sick. And it, it was just like, I don't know how that happens, you know, but it was not overthinking it, you know? Yeah. Well, that was a big thing you always said too, was about the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Um, was always like a thing you would bring up. And sometimes, yeah, I would just, I sometimes maybe I'd be like, well, just pretend I'm sick and see what happens, <laughs> you know, because there's an easier way to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think, yeah, you really helped me learn how to trust the process in that too and like worry less about all these other things going on and a lot of things I couldn't control. But not only trust the process, but like create a process that I could trust, right. you know, meaning like what you just said, like recognizing when, okay, if, if I hit this certain point, then yes, it's time to take a break or whatever. And that started when I was like nine, when I was, was it nine years old that I was studying for the spelling bee at school and I wanted to keep going and you're like nope we're done for the night like that's it you've studied enough you know and you went to that spelling bee and we saw all kinds of parents in the hallway while we were waiting just quizzing 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 their their kids on words and you looked at me and you're like mom shouldn't we be going over words I said no because you prepared and now it's time to just relax and and go and trust the work that you did. Isn't that the same as sports? It's yeah. the same thing. You trust that you did the work in practice, and then you go and just execute it in the game. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's how me and Dad used to talk about it, too. It's like the game is the test, but studying is practice. You know, mm -hmm. it's like similar between school and and sports. But, you know, from the time when I was born or even that nine-year-old <laughs> studying for the spelling bee all the way through college. And then even now, you know, you still watch all the TV broadcasts I do with Pac-12 Networks or the live streams at Stanford. Softball's still there. You can't get away from it. Oh, yeah. And and because you went to college, and I think a lot of parents have this, it's, it's not, you know, I'm not trying to live your life, but... Stanford became a part of our lives, your college, right? So we love watching other sports from for the for the institution, you know. It it becomes the family alma mater, if you will. Yeah. Right. Um, because I think I told you, you know, when you finished softball at Stanford, one of the things I told you was thank you so much for letting us go on the ride with you. And that's really how I saw it is it was your ride, but we, we got front row seats and it, it's a once in a lifetime. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Man, I love my mama. <laughs> I talk to her pretty much every day. So this was really the same as any other day, but we just happened to record it this time. But just throughout everything, she has really been my rock. You know, she let me be me and encouraged me to be accountable and independent, but also kind of magically knew the right balance of support that I needed for my well-being. I feel like moms are great that way. But I think 
anyone in a role like the one she's been in, whether you're a mom, a dad, a grandparent, or whoever, hopefully you listening, you can relate, learn, maybe even just laugh. I know we do about it all the time. So it was just awesome. And I mentioned earlier that I wear a bunch of stuff now that I used to make fun of my mom for wearing to the field while I was growing up. Isn't that always how it works out? But one thing I didn't mention that she also always wore is sunglasses. Man, with all the sun, the wind, the dirt that we had at the field, sunglasses were a must-have for her and my dad. And they would be devastated if they accidentally left a pair like hanging on the fence or on the bleachers or whatever, and they lost it. Because when you're outside like that, it's important. You know, that and sunscreen. But now it's time to make your outdoor experiences better with Canaan. Canaan sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. So use the exclusive code CanaanCast15 at Canaan.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. Canaan, clearly better. I told you I'd hook you up. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about your personal board of directors. What does that mean, right? Well, for background, a board of directors is a term from the business world. It's a group of people who jointly supervises the activities of an organization, like at the highest level. So this group of people is invested in the company and they can help guide it, but ultimately the company and the employees are the ones doing the work. So in my first job out of school, out of grad school at LinkedIn, I learned the concept of creating your own personal board of directors. You are the CEO of your life, and there are likely people in your life that you trust and respect that also help guide and mentor you in different ways, right? So if you think of yourself as your own company, It's helpful to think of those people as your personal board of directors. You know, you're the one making decisions and living your life, but they're invested in you and there to help. And if you couldn't tell, my mom is obviously a member of my personal board of directors, one of the chief members, actually. There's my dad, my boyfriend, Sam, who's been on the show and is my partner in life, and some of my best friends, some family friends, whoever you choose and who you look to, it's unique to you, but just know that they are the people They're just the people that you trust, respect, and learn from. And it's always helpful, of course, if it's a diverse group from different parts of your life. You know, I have family, I have friends, I have professional contacts, and with different backgrounds. You know, my board of directors has socioeconomic statuses all over the spectrum, and I love that. It's better for me. Diverse perspectives and diversity in thought helps you see more And makes you better. And that's why it also makes businesses better too. It's for the same reason. But really, this can also make you a better softball player, better coach, whatever you're doing in the softball world, or whatever you're doing in life. I mean, when I had the most hitting success in my college career, senior year, I've talked about this a little bit before, but it was because I tapped into my board of directors. I took some guidance from each of them, just what felt right to me. I put it all together. And I became a better me because of it. And we can all do that. So that's it. Invest in your personal board of directors. That's the foul tip of the week. 
You've been listening to Believe in Softball, presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you listen, including Believe.com. You can also watch the videos on YouTube. So hit that subscribe button, rate the show, write a review, share the episodes. And of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at JennaBecerra01 and Instagram at JennaBecerra as well. As always, thank you for joining and catch you soon. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.